You can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Wanted to give you, as the kids are heading out, uh, for the last several years, we have had in the lobby a jar that has acorns in it. You may see that over if you go out and to the left, there's a jar with acorns. You might be like, well, that's kind of a weird little decoration we have, but there's, it's very purposeful. What we encourage our congregation to do is every time you share the gospel, you put an acorn in the jar, and it's just a visual reminder of our mission to the community. So this year, I counted them the other day. There are 110 acorns in there. So that means 110 gospel opportunities shared. Uh, There's three silver acorns, which means people who came to know Christ as their Savior over 2023. That is awesome. So let's keep going. So we are going to empty the jar today. And so we are starting 2024 uh, tomorrow. And so we're going to just continue uh, to try to be a faithful church with gospel witness. So just wanted to remind you of that. I will be reminding you. The pastors will be reminding you throughout the year about the acorns. It's just a simple decorative way for us to remind ourselves of our priorities. Well, every few years we seek to be reminded why do we exist as a local church. Our mission statement is not just a pithy saying. It's not just something we put on the wall in the lobby never to consider again. No, we really care about it because it informs who we are and what we do. It also informs what we don't do. We're not a social club or a food bank. We're a church. And our church, Risen Hope Church, exists to glorify God as we treasure, apply, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say that every week. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or talk or hang out or sing or sleep, we are called to be a people that glorifies God, honors God, pleases God, does what God says. But what does that look like in the life of the local church? Well, Edmund Clowney, who is a mentor of Tim Keller, said that as you look at Scripture, as you look at uh, the the book of Acts and the epistles, and you kind of could narrow down what the church does, there's kind of three main things that the church does. They worship King Jesus, they nurture each other, spiritual growth, maturity, and they bear witness to who Jesus is to a lost and dying world. Worship, nurture, and witness. Worship, nurture, and witness. And you'll hear those in the the sayings of what we believe as we look at the New Testament and we take worship, nurture, and witness and we just change the words a little bit. Treasure, worship, apply, nurture, proclaim, witness. That's the scriptural teachings of what we see the church doing. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to walk through what it means, actually four weeks, what we, what we mean in treasuring and applying and proclaiming the gospel. And the first aspect of that is treasuring. And I want to particularly consider this today, how we treasure Jesus with our zeal. How we treasure Jesus with our zeal. Look with me at Romans chapter 12. We're going to start reading at verse 9, but our main focus is going to be verse 11 today. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his holy word. When we studied the book of Ephesians, we talked about how the first half of the book of Ephesians is chapters one through three are speaking of doctrine and the the last half of the book of Ephesians, chapters four through six, speak of practice, doctrine and practice, what you believe and then how you act, who you are and then what you do, being and doing, indicatives and imperatives. If you get to Romans and you look at the book of Romans, it's similar in some ways. Chapters one through 11 of Romans are this wonderful and possibly even the best arguments of what it means to be in Christ, the life in Christ, uh, why we need Jesus. is speaking a lot of doctrine. And then Paul transitions in chapter 12 of the book of Romans toward practice. Out of who we are, Romans 1 through 11, here's what we do, Romans 12 through 16. Our identity always leads us to practicality. Who we are always leads to what we do. So today, as we are considering how we treasure Jesus with one simple verse, it has massive implications in what we do. Look again at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Here's my main argument today. Our zeal for Jesus is a gauge we must continually attend to. Our zeal for Jesus is a gauge we must continually attend to, like a car's fuel level. If you don't attend to that, or battery level, if you're one of those cool electric car people, like if you don't attend to that, you are going to be on the side of the road at some point. You must attend to it. You, if you do nothing, you run out and you are stranded. How are we doing in our treasuring of Jesus? What's that gauge look like this morning? Here's some questions. How is my zeal for Jesus? My zeal for the word of God? My zeal for prayer? Let's look at this idea of zeal and we're gonna look at three different sections. First is the command of zeal. Second, the danger of diminished zeal. And third, the hope for zeal today. So first, the command of zeal, the command of zeal. It's interesting that in our text, zeal is not merely a suggestion or simple encouragement. Some can do it, some cannot. No, it is a command. Do not be slothful in zeal, meaning be zealous. It's an imperative that I don't often think about a lot. In fact, one of the reasons I'm bringing this teaching to you is I was sitting in a conference a couple years ago, and uh, the dean of the Sovereign Grace Pastors College, Jeff Perswell, started teaching on the importance of zeal. And I was thinking, man, I haven't really thought through this very well, and I definitely haven't taught on it. So I've kind of neglected that in my life and neglected that in teaching and want to bring that to our church family today because I want to be a man of zeal for Jesus and I want us to be people of zeal for Jesus. So we must ask, well, what is zeal? Words in scripture like earnestness get at it. It's an unswavering resolve, a devotion, a single-mindedness. Perswell says this, zeal is a combination of sincerity and commitment 
desire and determination. But this zeal in Romans chapter 12 must have a right aim. It's not just zeal in all directions. It's to honor Jesus Christ as our king. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So it's not a false zeal or a rash zeal. It's not an unbridled passion for whatever you know, issue we like that week. It's not being fervent about third-tier issues when, they, when we actually need to have a fervency for first-tier issues. It's not stirring up controversy and just blasting our opinions and be zealous for everything, which means you're zealous kind of for nothing. It's a desire and determination to please Jesus, no matter what. Or as the phrase dating back to the 1880s said, and I think my grandfather might have said it, come hell or high water. Like we're going after this. We're moving forward no matter what. A fierce, loyal determination to live for Jesus. That is sacred zeal. And friends, maybe I've neglected some of that. Maybe some of you guys have neglected the idea of zeal, but the word of God still has things about zeal that we must not neglect. In Isaiah chapter nine, we find that the Messiah child is gonna be born. We just have talked about this, even read this passage in, in recent weeks. He's going to be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. But how does that section end in Isaiah chapter nine? How do we know that the, the child-born king will be forever sitting on his throne? Isaiah 9, verse 7, the zeal of the Lord will do this. The zeal of the Lord will do this. So godly zeal is not just something we do. It's first something that God models and we learn from. It is his commitment and determination, his steadfast resolve to his promises. Like a good dad, he keeps his promises to his kids. But it's not just the father who has zeal, it's also the son. In John chapter 2, Jesus gets fired up. He goes into the temple that's supposed to be a place of worship, the place where people treasure God, but it has been turned into kind of a mall or outlet center or flea market. It's a place of commerce those selling animals for the sacrificial system, and they were overcharging. Kind of feels like you're at a concert or a sporting event. It's like 15 bucks for a bottle of water. And you're like, really? You paid 50 cents for this. There's this overcharging going on, but it's not just overcharging. There's the unbalanced scales. It's turning the place of worship into a place of corruption because the location of the market at the temple was the court of the Gentiles, the very place where Gentiles were called to worship Yahweh, a place reserved for them, set aside for them. It's now a place that Gentiles are pushed out and Jewish worshipers are being swindled. So Jesus makes a whip, he turns over tables and he exclaims, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And when he exclaims that, here's what I want us to think about. When he exclaims that, what do the disciples who are with him, and they're observing this, what do they start thinking? John tells us what they start thinking as they observe Jesus. John chapter 2, verse 17. 
his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. They start thinking of Psalm 69. That's where that's written. They start thinking of Psalm 69. These are song lyrics, right? These are worship songs. They start thinking about that as they're observing Jesus' zeal. Jesus has a zeal for his people to worship him and have an opportunity to worship him and treasure him and honor him. Do not hinder God's people from worshiping God. Zeal, fire, consuming passion. So we may, we may forget about zeal, but the disciples who are watching Jesus did not forget about it. They saw zeal for holiness in the temple and they marveled at Jesus. And friends, this is a command. We are to be a zealous people. Zeal for King Jesus, passion for King Jesus, treasuring the gospel in all, with all of our lives. I recently read a story of a young mom who was playing on a playground with her kids and she pushed one of the kids on the swing. The other was playing on probably the slide or something. And she saw a car come into the parking lot and a nicely dressed woman kind of scamper out of the car over to a picnic table with a picnic basket in hand. And the young mom, as she's pushing her uh, child, started daydreaming. What must that lady be doing? Who is she so excited to see? Is it a friend that she's meeting for lunch that she hasn't seen in a while? Is it her husband and, and they're having a date for lunch? Or is it a secret lover and this is a rendezvous place for them to meet at the park? Who is she meeting? She almost bounced out of the car. She eagerly went over to the picnic table. She was so excited. Over the next few minutes, the mom kind of lost track of that lady. She was playing with her two kids and focusing on them and kind of forgot about the daydream for a while because she never saw another car come into the parking lot. And then she stopped remembering the lady sitting over at the picnic table and looked over at her. This eager, beautiful woman who sat at the picnic table eating lunch was reading her Bible. She's, she was eager to meet her friend, the friend of sinners. She was eager to meet her husband. She was eager to meet with the lover of her soul, Jesus. And the woman, the young mom, teared up because she was a believer. She remembered the zeal she once had for the Lord, an eagerness to be with her Lord. She stood there in the middle of the playground and she had this question, where did it go? Where did it go? Friends, is there a zeal for Christ, his word and prayer that you once had? You once had, but as you Consider someone being eager for the word, scampering out of their car, you would have that same thought. Where did it go? I once had that. Let's turn our attention to the dangers of diminished zeal, the dangers of diminished zeal. Our text speaks of zeal, but there's a clear warning that goes with it. 
Look at the text. Do not be slothful in zeal. Paul writes Romans in 11 chapters of the glories of Christ, of who we are in Christ. Let me summarize uh, Romans 1 through 11. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, chapter 1. God's word is written on our hearts, so all are called to respond. Chapter 2, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, his standard, but are saved if they trust in Jesus. By grace, it is a gift and redemption can come through Christ. Chapter 3, the promise and the hope came from Abraham all the way to us, faith counted as righteousness. That's chapter 4. By Adam's disobedience, all were made sinners, but through Christ's obedience, we are made righteous. Chapter 5, we have been united with Christ by his death, and we are raised with Christ, and we can walk in new life of his resurrection. That's chapter 6. Though we do things that we do not want to do, there's a law of sin and a law of Christ, and the law of Christ will rule us. Chapter 7, so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God did not spare his son, but he graciously gives us all things. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Chapter 8, we are chosen in him. Chapter 9, so we speak the good news of Christ. Chapter 10, and we look forward to both the full number of Gentiles and Jews having eternal hope in Jesus. Chapter 11, all these are precious and good promises All are wonderful works of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you get to chapter 12, and Paul says this. There's all this avalanche of goodness, and he says this to believers. Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be apathetic. Do not look at the promises of God for 11 chapters and all he's done in you and in the world and be like, eh. Do not be distracted. Zeal must be tended to like a campfire that you look out for, you tend, you you blow on to make sure it stays lit. You add the twigs and the kindling followed by larger sticks And wood, you see, we don't just automatically have zeal. It's a sacred work. The fire must be kept. The warmth toward the Lord can diminish without careful attention. So friends, let's look at some enemies of zeal. Some enemies of zeal. One of the enemies of zeal is familiarity. It is good to be familiar with God and his word. It is good to be familiar with prayer and worshiping Jesus in the worship gathering and community groups, but we can have a familiarity that breeds contempt. We may not be as grateful for our ability to read God's word. We may be struggling to press through those meh moments and feel like reading God's word is more of a chore than a delight. Friends, zeal fights for faith. Zeal says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Zeal takes Lloyd-Jones' wisdom from spiritual depression. It's a great book. And he says, part of our problems, Christian, is that we listen to ourselves so much and listen here and don't speak the truth of the gospel to ourselves. 
There's a familiarity, and we just kind of move on that can lead toward apathy. We can become more critical of a song rather than worshiping God on a Sunday through a song. We can be tempted to pass by guests that come in and are among us because we forget that we've been welcomed by Christ, and so we welcome others. We can just go through the routine and miss it. We can just miss what God has for us, the glories God has for us. Let's be honest, friends, we are all capable of being so familiar that we try to do the work of the Spirit and the power of the flesh. We can come in here to sing songs or study God's Word or talk to friends or pray for one another, and we can do it in the power of the flesh rather than dependence on the Holy Spirit, which leads to the next danger, competency. Andrew Bonar says this. This is a sobering quote. He says, remember that very few men and very few ministers keep up the, to the end the edge that was on their spirit at first. Remember that very few men and very few ministers keep up to the end the edge that was on their spirit at first. Friends, if you've been a believer for long, are you staying sharp Have you stayed warm by the fires of God's grace? Do you care much about finishing well and as much about finishing well as you did about starting well? I've been a follower of Christ for 27 years. I've been a pastor for almost 23 years. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I think I've finished the front nine and I'm pushing toward the back nine. Maybe on hole nine or 10, I don't know. Maybe I'm on like 18 and you'll be doing my funeral a few months from now. I don't know. But I have a growing urgency to finish well, to help our pastoral team to finish well, to help our community group leaders finish well, to help Risen Hope members finish well, to pass the torch to the next generation and not drop it, to not drop it and be like, oh, well, we built a building We raised $200,000. Who cares if we don't pass it on well? Who cares? We want to finish well. We want to honor Jesus. We don't want to be so competent that we're arrogant. We don't want to be so puffed up with knowledge and, and doctrine and experience that we forget the humility of Christ. Carl Henry says this. I love this quote. Can anyone be arrogant when he stands beside the cross? Can anyone be arrogant if they continually survey the wondrous cross for which God died? God, man, Jesus died? Oh, as we survey the wondrous cross, if we recount the resurrection, as we think of the reign of Jesus right now and how he's even interceding for us right now, praying that we would know him more by his spirit, by his word. Oh, friends, that will stir zeal. The next enemy of zeal is an obvious one, sin. Now, I'm going to state the obvious. In Psalm 51, David was not fervent in zeal for the Lord. He had been slothful. He had not gone out to war and led his army when he was supposed to be. Instead, he was on his roof lusting after a woman, not doing the work that God had called him to. 
And his lust led toward adultery and even murder, clear, blunt, brutal sin. And the rest of his life bore the consequence of his slothfulness for zeal. In his confession of Psalm 51, he writes this in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore, God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He needed new affections. He needed renewed zeal. Remember, this is the guy who went up against Goliath. Like, let's remember that. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says this, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's zeal. That dude had zeal. He once had zeal. And in Psalm 51 He's like, where did it go? Psalm 32 is also about David and Bathsheba and the sin, but he gives a little more detail. He says, during that time when he was unwilling to confess his sin before Nathan came and confronted him, he said, my bones wasted away. He probably remembered the zeal he had the picking up the rocks, the slingshot, the, all the stuff. And, and he remembers the, the zeal, the dancing before the Lord and, and the, the armies going forward and all the, the closeness to the Lord, the, the man after God's own heart, he's called. Chapter 12, thank you. That's where we are. <laughs> Sorry, I get distracted. But in Psalm 32, that zeal is of the past. His bones are wasting away. He's in anguish. No zeal, no fervent spirit, no nearness to God. So he prays, Lord, restore that. Psalm 51, restore the joy of your salvation. Friends, for some of us, we aren't zealous because there is clear sin that we are covering up. We are living in and it is rotting our souls. There's a time that we were zealous and we were doing things for God that were like, oh, this is awesome. And now we look at our lives and we're just kind of playing the, the scape game, getting away from God, playing hide and seek with God. And our bones are wasting away. Our souls are rotting because we are zealous no more. We are not fervent in spirit. We are not zealous. We are living in compromise. But friends, in Jesus, through his death and resurrection, we are welcome to repent. We are welcome to, to turn the light on and shine forth what is going on in our lives. 1 John 1, 9 bids us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, every unrighteousness, every hidden thing, every small compromise, he will cleanse us from all of it. 
Oh, friends, if that's you, will you turn from any known sin today and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to follow you. Restore to me the joy I once had in your salvation. Oh, friends, if that's you, I would beg you to turn. I would beg you, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, break us where there's sin. Oh, God does not despise a broken heart, a broken and contrite spirit. That's later in Psalm 51. Some of us need brokenness. Another danger to zeal isn't necessarily sin. Some of us are going through this prolonged hardship. Prolonged hardship. That's the fourth enemy of zeal. This might be hardship from your ailing body or sickness or disease. It might be caring for someone else who has sickness or disease. It may be hardship from suffering, from being sinned against. Long-term relationships that are strained or difficult, confusing, seemingly not changing. You have sown and sown and sown. You've tried to be gracious and patient and speak the truth in love, and there's little fruit. How discouraging is that? Oh, how this can erode the zeal of the Lord in our souls where we become very weary. And friends, let me state a difference between being tired and weary. Zeal erodes where the soul is weary. If we're tired, we just need sleep. If we're tired, we need rest. We're tired. We need to pull back a little bit, Sabbath more, take a vacation, have a personal retreat, do something to change some circumstances, just pull back, and and you get that rest, and you're not tired anymore. But if your soul is weary, friends, you should be concerned. That should concern us more. Sleep doesn't help a weary soul. Only our kind, steady love of our Savior can cure that. Jesus takes us by the hand, tends us like the good shepherd. He guides us to the streams of living water through word and prayer. He reminds reminds us of his promises, of his grace and his hope and his joy in him. He reminds us that life is a mist. It's here today, gone tomorrow, but we have a future and a hope and eternity with him. He reminds us of the importance of the fellowship of the saints, the friendship with local believers where we can laugh together and cry together. He fills us with his Holy Spirit and reminds us reminds us of the gifts he's given, that those gifts aren't just for us, but we turn outward. So even in the midst of difficulty, we look to see how we can serve others. And so we stop thinking about ourselves and our circumstances. Oh, friends, if you are weary today, take that seriously. You need care. You need help. We want to help. Ask me how I know. I've been there. Many different times I've been there where I'm like, oh, I'm not just tired. Sleep is not curing this. Friends, if you are there, it's not that surprising. We will all go through moments of weariness and struggle. This past February and March, I had a few people ask me, are you okay? I had to ask, I was walking with my wife, and she was like, I don't think you're as emotionally and spiritually healthy as you think you are. That's a hard thing for a husband to hear. <laughs> so we're walking, like, okay, I want to think through that. And she was right. I was struggling. I was tending to my soul daily in the Word. I was confessing sin, but the pressures of parenting a big family. 
pastoring a church were starting to crush me. Zia was giving way to simply checking boxes, keeping plates spinning, and playing to my strengths. Because that's what we do when we're struggling. We just play to our strengths. And my strength is efficiency. I'm really good at getting stuff done, which is great when you're checking boxes. It's really bad when it comes to relationships with people. And so I was hurting some people, had to repent. Prolonged hardship drilled me, and I'm still working on that. How's prolonged hardship in your life? How are you dealing with it if your soul is weary? Friends, let me give you some encouragement, because right now some of you guys might be more aware of discouragement than encouragement. You may be a person who actually struggling with all four issues here, all four enemies of zeal. You're like, man, I am overly familiar. I know all this stuff, but I'm struggling with pride because of my competency. I don't have that joy I used to have. Uh, I'm aware of sin that's gone on way too long. And I have prolonged hardship through suffering or through relationships or through sickness. Is there any hope for me, you might be asking? Well, the answer is yes, there is hope, but not because of you. There is not hope in you just rekindling your own zeal in your life. No, there is hope because of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. So point number three is the hope of zeal. The hope of zeal. Look back at Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Get this. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. When the text says be fervent, it's not as much giving us one more thing to do. Okay, got to do this. Going to do that now. Try to do better. No, it's giving us our marching orders of focus on one thing. Zeal grows as we focus on one thing. J.C. Ryle, who lived in the 1800s in the UK, he was a pastor. He was a godly man. He knew struggles in life. He knew the need to focus on one thing, focused on the Lord. Ryle's first wife died at age 29, when he was 29, leaving him as a single dad. A few years later, he married his second wife. They had more kids. She passed away. This guy knew what it was like to walk through tremendous grief, tremendous pressure, care for other people, and yet not have your zeal Diminished. This is a guy who can talk to us about zeal. Here's what Ryle says. A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It's not enough to say he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he is rich or poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he's thought foolish, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame. For all of this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. Burning for one thing. Do we burn for one thing, burn to please God, burn to honor Jesus Christ with our lives? Lord, reign in us. That means I'm not in control. That means I'm not on the throne. You are. Let me walk 
wherever you call me to. As Brother Andrew said, let's walk the royal way, following King Jesus wherever he calls us to go. Friends, do you have a commanding passion for Jesus that defines your entire life? You might be like, well, I used to, Mike. And I want to again, but how? Friends, I'm glad you asked. Notice what the text says, be fervent in spirit. This is not just generally speaking of being fervent in your psychological state. No, commentators note that this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who lights the flame. The Holy Spirit is the wind that blows on the embers of your wandering heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who comforts and cares and empowers you to the work that God calls for you in the world. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of zeal. So remember Romans 8, where it says, you have received the Holy Spirit, that we set our minds on the Spirit, that we put sin to death by the Spirit, that the Spirit bears witness that we are adopted, we are loved, we are in the family. The Spirit groans inside us and intercedes for us. The Spirit makes us fervent. Or as John Stott said, we are called to be aglow with the Spirit, let us burn, friends. Jeff Perswell helps us with the reality check here. He says this, zeal isn't an accomplishment. It's a miracle. Zeal isn't an accomplishment. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. It's a miracle that by the Spirit we are saved. By the Spirit, we are sustained. It is by the Spirit that we have passion and any zeal at all, any fervency for the Lord. By the Spirit, faith is stirred. By the Spirit, daily grace is given. By the Spirit, joy is experienced. It is the life of Christ in us. Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Our union with Christ is by the Spirit. The new life we have in Christ is by the Spirit. We abide in the vine of Christ by the Spirit. We are nourished. Our limbs are nourished by Christ, by the Spirit. It's a wonderful gift of grace, a gift by the Spirit that then enlivens our lives to serve the Lord with every moment, with every ounce of energy and life that he has given us. It is a life of truly treasuring Christ. It is a life of exuding gratefulness to Christ. It is earnest, is a life of earnest prayer, it is a life of longing for God's word. It is a life of loving Christ and his church. It's a person who, out of zeal for Christ, just wants to do whatever Jesus says. Go wherever Jesus goes. I'm called to go to the Chinese church, Wong's, I go. Called to move to Charleston, I go. Called to love my neighbor, I go. Called to love my family, I go. I just, just whatever God wants, whatever he calls us to. Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord. He is your Lord. He is your king. Bow to your king. Be zealous for all he wants in your life 
in 2024. Whereas Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Friends, let's be honest. There isn't a soul in here that says, yep, I'm good. Check it off. Zeal, knocking it out. 2023, here's my resume. It was awesome. No, we need to grow in this. One of the reasons we're doing this reset series is because we want to reset in 2024 in these different priorities. And one of them is treasuring Jesus with all of our lives, being zealous for Jesus. So friends, how are you going to be zealous and treasure Jesus this year in your life? Oh, friends, think about that. Talk to your spouse or roommate or kids or community group leaders or D group about that. How are you going to grow in loving God and his word? My wife and I last night were celebrating our 23rd anniversary, going on a date, love P.F. Chang's, one of the best restaurants ever. And one of the things I wanted to talk with her about as we're going into 2024 is how we're both planning on growing in the Word. And so that was part of our conversation that we were having. It's like, what's your reading plan? She's been killing it. She read through the Bible in 11 months this past year. Go, Kristen. And um, I was like, that's awesome. Uh, I've never read through the Bible in 11 months (laughs) in my life. Um, and so that's one of the things I'm, we're just talking about. What are, what's the reading plan? I would, consi- I would con- uh, commend to you, what's your reading plan? Is it a chapter a day? Is it a few verses a day? Is it texting your accountability group? Is it, what's your prayer plan? What's scripture memory plan? What's fasting look like in your life? What, I mean, we just keep asking, not just to do more things, but what's zeal look like in your life? Does that need to be kindled? I bet it does. And guess what? The Spirit is eager to help us this year, to be zealous for the Lord. So we want to pray, fill me, Holy Spirit. Help me have new affections for you. Restore the joy of your salvation. So we're going to stand now. And for our guests, this is going to be a little weird. For those who are members here, we do this all the time. So you can just enjoy. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to gather in groups of five, six, seven, eight people and just kind of circle up, whether in the aisles, you can move chairs, and we're just going to pray together. We're going to end through praying for each other. And if you don't want to talk and you don't want to pray, you don't have to. I would encourage you at least tell people your name as you're together. But we want to pray, Lord, help me be zealous. And maybe there's a particular area where you're like, man, this is an enemy of my zeal that I just need prayer for. Or you're just like, I just need you to pray for me to be filled with the Spirit afresh right now. Why don't you stand right now, get in those groups, and we're just going to spend some unhurried time in prayer together, brothers and sisters praying for one another.